Welcome to the Practical Missions Podcast. I'm your host. Well, I've been absent from the Practical Missions Podcast headquarters for some time, but I am back in the studio and I'm super happy to be here today. I have for you an episode that's very different than the normal episodes here on the Practical Missions Podcast. I'm interviewing not a missionary, but a missions pastor. And I just want to preface from the beginning that I was in North America and I was speaking to a North American missions pastor. And I say that because I know for my European friends, and we have a lot of Europeans who listen to the podcast, uh, things are going to be different for, for you and it might be very easy for you to judge on the surface and to write off everything being said as just quote unquote American. So you don't have to agree with everything that's being said. You can realize and understand that that what is being said is coming from a different context from your own. But I think there are still a lot of very good principles that we can take from this conversation, no matter where you're from. How do I engage with my supporters? How do I engage with my sending church? What are their expectations? Am I asking for too much money? So I know the context can be different, but my guest today is an incredibly humble person and I think well worth listening to even until the very end of the episode. Also, he is an incredibly smooth voice that is very easy to listen to. So please listen until the end and I think you'll be very glad you did. So thanks for being with me today and I hope you really enjoy today's podcast. I would like to go back with you to before you were, you were working in a church, before you doing any, any of these things, go back a little bit and just tell me a, your journey of how you ended up where you are. Yeah, that's, uh, it's a, that's a story that might scare you. <laughs> but um, can't wait to, to try to recap it. First of all, the, the, the journey starts with a business career, which is not uncommon, and followed in a, in a career path that involved technology, software, databases, this type of thing, and had a career path that was growing and worked in different jobs, different companies, and eventually started a company with other partners, thought that, you know, we were good enough to do that, or, you know, and in some respects, I guess we were, because the company did grow. We were successful. We were also massive failures in many respects, lots of mistakes we made along the way. But for about a 10-year period, we were running this company. The early years were fun and exciting. You know, you're, you're starting this thing that, first of all, you love to do. Secondly, you're having the time of your life and you're, and you're finding success in it. So that part of it is gratifying and fun. It captures your attention and a bit too much of your heart, really. Eventually, and I can't explain exactly when or how, but eventually, instead of owning a company, it starts to own you. There's a lot of cost. In my case, the cost was mostly paid for by my family, my wife, my kids who were quite young. We were, in, we were at the stage of our marriage where we were having kids. To sum it up in a capsule, there was a, a period of time where my wife was pretty much required to care for the entire family without my help. I was always at the office. It was a weird struggle because I didn't really know how to resolve it. I knew it was wrong. We had countless conversations about it. Very difficult and painful because, I'll rewind one more step, through this entire process, was fully active in church, fully active in faith, didn't actually walk away from that, but yet was in this other sense of brokenness in terms of priority and decisions and, and just managing life. 
so it seemed unsolvable because it never felt like there was a good time to just say, okay, I'm done. Because you're abandoning partners, you're abandoning employees, you're abandoning clients, you know, all of this thing that you, you always feel this sense of responsibility. Plus, in a sense, you love what you do, but you hate what you do. It's a weird, weird, weird thing. Through all that and through the pain of disappointing your spouse day after day, having children, putting her in the position of having to answer little kids who say, where's dad? How come he's never here? That's a tough thing. Eventually, God did intervene in a unmistakable way. I tongue-in-cheek say I was rescued from the business world, but in a very real sense I was. That moment of rescue was a profound moment convicted by a passage of scripture on a particular Sunday morning, Hebrews chapter 12. Again, I had we had this constant unsolvable problem. And so Hebrews 12, since you're surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And those words just hit me. They, that was totally for me. The next day was Monday, and I had a meeting with my former business partner and told him that I, I needed to quit. So we worked out a way to do that, and I knew I had to go toward ministry. I didn't know what ministry. In my naivete, knowing full well I had heard from God and chose to take action and obey, the naive part was God would pat me on the back and say, okay, here's what you do next. Didn't quite exactly go like that. You hear people talk about God's waiting room. There was a period of wondering and wandering to understand what was next. It was about a year and a half later, and there were twists and turns along the way where you think you've seen it, but about a year and a half later, I began a, a, a chapter serving in a particular ministry that has opened many, many doors. Mm-hmm. When did you start to work on staff at a church? Much later, it's been approximately four years that I've been in in my current role. First of all, I've been part of that church for over 40 years. Uh, So this journey, whether it was business or ministry after that, and now as part of the staff of the church, has all been part of the same church. But the role I'm in in my church was fundamentally predicated on the experiences in God's grace. You know, I was able to to, to gain and learn from some amazing people. Mm. So after you left the business world, you actually worked locally, but in a ministry that's working cross-culturally, right? That's true, yes. Yeah. You have a lot of background in global missions without having ever lived overseas yourself. That's right. I've done a lot of travel, but have never actually had a residence overseas. That's yeah. true. So you have a lot of exposure. You know what's going on on the field with individual workers with individual teams uh, some of the struggles some of the costs some of the what, whatever it takes but now you're in a role where you're in it in your church I mean you're still you're still working over here but now you're working in or with a church as a missions pastor and that's what I'm curious to talk to you about now is just is that role there and I wonder like just kind of initially what are some of the questions as a missions pastor that you're thinking of, what are some of the priorities that you have in your role? Well, that's an interesting question. The The priorities probably come in a few different categories. I almost always end up thinking of them as challenges you know, that we're facing. The church that I'm part of has multiple campuses. Those campuses have joined over a period of time. And so the relationships that exist between a certain campus and a certain set of missionaries tend to be a little bit isolated, you know, siloed to a degree, if you want to think of that. And the challenge of finding ways to connect relationships with missionaries across multiple congregations, multiple sets of people in various locations, is one I haven't solved yet. It is kind of tricky. 
Because there's always a limited amount of time. And uh, missions doesn't always have a lot of time in the church itself, does it? Which is another issue. Yes, yeah. yes. As, as time has marched on, many missionaries who have been doing this as a, as a career for decades, you know, can tell you that, oh, it's way different than it was. <laughs> but I mean, I'm, I'm talking general. Yeah. In general, uh, not just for your church specifically, but in churches, missions is often not on the, f- the front burner of the church's time, what's going on, you know, right. on, the, on the platform. Yeah. And, and I think it, it depends very much on, it's, it's church to church. But it, it, it is probably the rare uh, situation, the rare gem where you have someone leading from the pulpit who has that heart and who brings it forward consistently. I remember one of the, the co-workers in the mission organization that I was part of, and he was talking about the church that uh, he was connected to. And the first time he visited there and he heard the, the preaching and, the, and, the, and it was so mission-focused, he thought, oh, I must be here on a mission weekend. Aha. And he was shocked that, no, that wasn't the case. Wow. This was the way this church what and and that it's remarkable that's not often found do you find there to be a a good balance like when you're thinking of all the priorities that a church has small groups children's ministries local ministries how should a church do you think be thinking about where does missions slide into these things it's a challenge because the western church north american church does tend to organize things programmatically. And so now we slip into my philosophical bent. And I, I don't want missions as a priority to be considered just another program. My preference, idealistic as that may be, is for that to be part of the DNA. Mm. And so some of the things that I've tried to do or may, maybe even tried to avoid in our church is, is shaped by that. So, for example, I've tried to not do the typical missions conference. Mm-hmm approach. Maybe I'm missing huge opportunities with that. I don't know. But what I'm trying to avoid is the sense that, oh, we do this every October or whatever. Yeah. As opposed to saying, this is who we are. That's what I'd rather have. Hmm. In saying that and observing the challenges of that, I, I realize how difficult that is to achieve. How does a church prioritize those things? If I can just summarize that, you're saying in your role as a, as a missions pastor, you don't want missions to just be a program of programs that the church is, is doing. You want it to be part of the DNA. You want missions to be part of, of the church, not just a weekend here or a Sunday there. And I think that's, I think that's amazing. And I think you, you actually do stuff to make that happen. You and I have worked together on some of those things, you know, can you, can you tell me a little bit just about some of the, some of the ways you try to incorporate missions into the DNA of the church, how you try to get missions in big ways or small ways to be part of the, uh, the woodwork of the church. The woodwork. I love woodwork. <laughs> um, in some, some bigger ways. I've got a few different ways to answer this. One is an idea that isn't fully realized yet. It's almost taking advantage of my home country's culture and the, the value set, the societal values, and that is entertainment, hmm. television, stories, driving the narrative of society so much and the culture. And so I've had this conversation with a, with a few missionaries that we're connected to because my goal is within the church is to say, how can I awaken the hearts of as many people as possible that are part of this church 
in multiple congregations in multiple places, how can we inspire as many people as possible to see what God is doing and want to be involved somehow? That might be to go, which thrills me, but it, maybe it's maybe it's to pray meaningfully. Maybe it's to give. Maybe it's many different ways that can be involved. Maybe maybe even just ha- seeing God's heart for the nations as well, right? Which I mean, that's that's one level of engagement mm. because, uh, and that's probably the the first most fundamental. Mm. And and then to say, wait a minute, that's what the whole Bible is about. Mm. Are you kidding me? Yeah, you know, for the lights to come on, yeah. like that. Yeah, that's a big uphill climb because that's not the way it's taught usually. Mm. There's so many different themes in the Bible, and if you, I, I've had that conversation even recently. To say, yeah, that's that's what the Bible's about, and I'll get a look back and think, no, no, that's no, come on, no, that's part of it, sure, mm. you know. And so mm. it's an interesting challenge. Um, so I've I've had conversations with with a handful of different missionaries with this idea, and actually with an organization recently as well. The idea it goes something like this: It's like I want to be able to tell the story of what God is doing where you're working, fully recognizing some places in the world it's hard to tell those stories. Yeah. Uh, so that aside, I, I want to be able to tell a story so that people start to know you as the cross-cultural worker. They start to know a bit about the reality of your life and the reality of your heart, the reality of your challenges, and to do this in a way that's not just occasional. Uh, and what I mean by that is what, what's the rhythm of the people that track with these stories in media? It's not once every 90 days or twice a year or once a year. It's like if we could do something every week or every two weeks or mm. something like that where the story keeps, keeps unfolding mm. and it doesn't need to be, it's not like you have to have an amazing story with every episode, but it's just, it's the drumbeat of what's going on in, in the work and, and the, the people that this global worker is connected to, the challenges of those lives. And so, and I don't even know if this is appropriate, but I've said, is, you know, can we tell the story kind of like a soap opera where there's characters, there's drama, there's problems, joys to celebrate, and there's crashes to mourn. There, there's all these things. And so what would that do? How effective would that be? I don't know because I haven't been able to pull it off yet. But I would love to see that implemented just to see how connected would people get? How how much would they be drawn into that story and, and want to learn more and engage more and pray more? What, you mm. know, celebrate mm. when we see God's hand. You know, yeah. uh, it's like... It would. I'd love to try it. I really like the desire to tell the story and keep people engaged over a long period of time in our congregations. Uh, what What about in children's ministry? Tell me. Uh, tell me a little bit about that. How do you incorporate missions into children's ministry? Uh, you've got a little bit of insight into this. I do. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> but uh, actually, through someone else. In, and I can't take credit for this. There, there's uh, someone else in our church that had this idea, and it turns out to be just brilliant. It's a young woman who has some gifting, some talent, and also the heart to want to tell some mission stories. And so along with the idea of weaving into the DNA or the woodwork, like you said, of the church body, this this heart for missions, it's pretty clear you need to start with the kids. We're raising little disciples as parents, right? Yeah. You know, so you're, yeah. you're teaching them the ways of God from the yeah. time they And can... the church is an extension of the family. Amen. 
Yeah. And so as we're now therefore uh, working to teach the young ones in the church body, introducing them to missions and the stories of missionaries mm. is great. Yeah. And so what this young woman did was ask some missionaries some key questions about what's going on in their lives, what they, you know, challenges they had gone through, what they had seen God do, just capturing the the essence, some nuggets of some some stories. And then she took that information and actually wrote a, a multi-chapter story. Each chapter is fairly short, but a multi-chapter story of this missionary's work, but did it as a, a, a mystery missionary, an unnamed a pseudonym or a yeah. you know, different name. And so that the children week by week are brought through this story. Hmm. And uh, and they're great stories. Yeah. You know, the missionaries often have amazing stories if you give them a chance. Yeah. <laughs> and, so, and so the children are drawn in hmm. to this story. And then the final week, maybe it's the fourth week or the fifth or something, the missionary is no longer the mystery, but the missionary is is revealed and so sometimes that missionary can be in the room to then interact with the children and they have all kinds of questions and are so excited to meet this person they've been hearing all about sometimes the missionary can't physically be there but then we have like a a a pre-recorded video and even the children have had the opportunity to write down questions to say what would you like to ask this person and so we get the questions out to the missionary the missionary answers the questions in fact i know you did this yeah yeah and it was so fun and and the kids are so excited and you know and you and you so i guess maybe in that sense that's a little bit like what i'm talking about on the soap opera and i hadn't really connected that thought yet because i'm thinking of adults but yeah it's the same idea and it's working for children right they yeah. love it when you and i had a had a little conversation together you asked me if i wanted to do something for the children's ministry what you just explained to us right now and we sat together over zoom was that what it was something like that that's what we did yes we had a we had a zoom call those key questions that that young woman wanted to to ask were asked in that zoom call and we recorded it yeah. and then she took that that recording and, yeah. and went from there yeah yeah and then she wrote a story based off the story I had told. And then you sent it to me and said, what do you think about this? Is this okay? And then at the end, whenever the end of the series happened, then they sent in questions and asked me and I made a little video and sent that back to you. And then you you guys played it to the uh, the kids. Huh? Is that... That's, that's exactly right. And that's been done at a couple of our campuses so far. And in fact, it's going to be done again at another campus coming up. I think it was a fantastic idea. I think it's really cool that you're trying to integrate missions into that. I suppose you have to be creating your own children's curriculum, though. Is that what's happening? Well, in this case, I mean, the writing of the story, certainly, that was that was the case. Are you using, like in the children's ministry, though, I guess some people are buying their children's ministry curriculum from big companies or whatever. I don't know, you know? Yeah. Are you are you guys doing that or do you guys like create all your own? Is all your own children's ministry no, I, created in-house? I don't think we do. I'm not, actually, I'm not positive. Yeah. Um, uh, I could find out for you. Uh, no, it's, no, I'm just, <laughs> I'm just curious to think. I'm just thinking like if there is a church out there, somebody who's listening who says like, man, I want to do something like that, but actually we don't have any margin for that because we buy yeah. all of our stuff yeah. offline. Everything's right. So in a, in a kid's ministry like this, um, I think you can make room for it because typically kids, you're going to have time, you know, snack time and game time yeah. and this and that. So what we did was probably just shortening aspects of a typical 
children's morning, you know, so maybe it was the teaching from the, let's say, the standard curriculum, and we inserted the missionary element. So you can make time if it's a priority. If I can pivot, when you think of the relationship between the church and the missionaries, I know there are different levels, or not levels, there are different kinds of missionaries the church supports. There are missionaries that are coming out of the church, and those usually get top priority for good reason. But then there are other people churches support, maybe they're legacy missionaries from a long time ago, or whatever it is. From your side as a missions pastor, and when you're thinking about, you know, you work in the church, and you interact with missionaries on behalf, you liaison these missionaries on behalf of the church. What is a good amount of connection that you're looking for and what is too much what is too little like what kind of a relationship are you are you looking for from a church to the missionary but also maybe from a church uh from a missions board to the missionaries tell me a little bit about your thinking on that but so you you were fundamentally talking about what's the what's the the rhythm or cadence of communication back and forth yeah either, either from the missionary or from the church from the what's church. good what's too much what's too little what are you looking for yeah uh from the missionary i mean some of some of the classic expectations that might be there if you're just kind of you know looking back years and years and say oh you know if, if a missionary is sending you a prayer letter once a month or once a quarter that's about what you would expect and realistically that's that was rarely happening uh, because most people weren't sending anything well often well there are there are some that that we do kind of chuckle at the fact that we we never hear from them mm-hmm. never mm-hmm. and then on all of a sudden randomly you know something will come up but mm-hmm. but uh so some missionaries you you just you know we really almost never hear from them and it's the the long standing relationship that we have with them that allows us to chuckle about it instead of going what's going on here yeah. but uh so that aside my my time working in a mission organization it was with one of the mission organizations that helps churches send missionaries mm. and so fair amount of exposure to the different things that go on some are really really good at it and in this day and age, some of the rules have changed too. Mm. So many, many missionaries use you know some of the other social media tools, Facebook or whatever. Yeah, and that has become their de facto yeah. communication channel. Which, in in a sense, first I'm going to say I'm not a Facebook fan, and so I'm going to just put that out there. But I have to say that that there is some huge benefit because you get kind of that organic flow of communication. And it doesn't have to be a formatted, formal type of interaction. They might have a private chat and they update with their prayer requests or whatever on it or something like that. It'd be, it's amazing how many aren't even private. Mm. They're just using Facebook. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, it depends I guess where it depends in the world on where you you're work. at in admissions, yeah. Exactly. You know, some places have much more sensitivities than others. In fact, there's a missionary serving in Europe that I know. There's not a security concern particularly, and they try to reach me through Facebook all the time, and I'm so rarely on yeah. Facebook, I miss their messages. <laughs> yeah. So in terms of the, the cadence and what works well, from a church perspective, because part of my role is also sharing with the rest of the church the prayer needs. That's part of the awareness and the engagement that I'm seeking to help encourage. And so having some regularity to that is extremely helpful, because I can more easily help the rest of the congregation stay connected. And so that's a benefit to me, just speaking, you know, in a sense of selfishly, (laughs) what helps me. Now, that said, you're asking what's most effective. And um, now we start getting into opinions, but I've seen 
some missionaries that, that communicate more often than that, but they, they use their tools a little differently. Some compelling photographs. Now, they were, they were serving in, in a region of Africa that I'm thinking of right now. They, they had the advantage of some, some really compelling photographs, and then they had the practice of writing. It's almost like they were sending captions. Hmm. Two sentences, three, well-written, now that's hard work, by the way. Mm. It's hard to say what you're trying to say in a very small number of words. Yeah, there's a famous Mark Twain quote about that. Uh, he said, I, I, "I was going to write you a short letter, and I didn't have time, so I'm writing you a long letter instead." <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that aside, this missionary, I uh, and I, it wasn't just my opinion. I heard it from some others. It was very, very effective because they were they were hitting the bullseye. People could see something that drew them in. The compelling photograph. Because you know many people are, are media and visually oriented, and it was short. People didn't open it and go, "Oh my goodness, I don't have time to read this." Something that drew them in, something they could absorb quickly. And then he had a about a weekly cadence of sending oh, out wow. these times of these types of things. Tons of engagement, really. If that were me trying to figure out how am I going to talk to churches on the other side of the world so that they're connected with what I'm doing, I would probably consider what I saw that guy do to say, can I do that? Because it was really good. Visual, not a lot of words, and more frequent. Yes, in, in that case. I, I mentioned the frequency, and probably a key thing about the frequency that I would say is because, because the content was quick to absorb and clear enough that you could, you could at a glance go, got it. And, and it could even move you. It could be good, really good stuff. Then getting it once a week didn't feel like a burden. Yeah. If you got the kind of stuff I write once a week, you'd be like, oh boy, here we go again. Yeah. You know, and so... Uh, I'll, I, I'll I read this later. Exactly. Yeah. I sometimes tease my wife about that because she's copied on some of the things I sent out for the church and go, you didn't <laughs> read my thing, did you? <laughs> <laughs> and I, I probably deserve that. Do you think as a missions pastor that... There are certain things you, you're looking to hear from a missionary. Are there on a more long-term basis? Are you interested in certain things? Well, I suppose it's fair to say most of us will have certain things we gravitate toward. I would say that's, that's true of me. There, there will be certain types of ministry that capture my attention and my heart more than others. As a missions pastor, a missions leader in our church, some of the missions work that I am responsible to oversee and, and missionaries to care for are ones that have a long-standing relationship with the church far, far longer than, than I've been in this role. And so, in a sense, you're inheriting a portfolio, to use the business term, yeah. uh, but, but a list of, of things that you really didn't shape at all, but you, you know, you're now working with it. And... And and you know these are these are some wonderful people doing good work. I'm I'm not trying to speak disparagingly at all. Sure, but there are there are definitely some that I connect with differently. You know, this is your podcast, but you know, to be honest, you're one of those mm. that I have felt a different type of connection mm. and appreciated mm. that. So some of that might be you know, the type of work or the place of the world or mm. those types of things that 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 connect with, with some desires in my heart a little differently. I, I could probably yammer on in this answer a little bit too much. I will say this, because it kind of connects back to our prior question about communication. I have been guilty of looking at 
my email inbox and seeing a message from a particular missionary and thinking to myself, if this is another one of those, I'm done. Meaning, if, if this letter says what I think it's going to say and, and doesn't say anything that really feels like legit ministry, um, I was that close to saying, we just need to cut these ties stop this mm-hmm. because it's not fruitful and then i opened the message and it wasn't what i expected mm. praise god mm. um you know yeah. there was there was there was more fruit there than i was yeah. giving them credit for and so i was uh i was reminded that i don't know what i was reminded of other than my sinfulness well <laughs> i think cynicism can creep in when when you're in ministry cynicism can creep in anywhere can't it for sure, especially I'm in a weird spot because serving in a missions organization and doing the types of things I did within that mission organization and even learning a certain disciplines about mm. how you promote missions or even or how you raise funds mm. or this and learning some of the techniques of that have in many ways ruined me. Uh, interesting. You've seen too much. You, you've seen too much, you know too much, and so you recognize exactly when it's happening to you. what somebody <laughs> is trying to do. I just got an email mm. from somebody in our church who's involved in a little startup ministry inviting me to, to meet and talk about something. And on one hand, uh, I want to help. I, I do. I want to help. And we've worked out a time to meet. But I looked at the email, fundamentally the way it was structured and what it said, and I had to almost say, you know, kind of tip the hat and say, you did it just right. Good Way job. To go. <laughs> Way to go. But I know exactly what you're yeah, doing. Yeah. Do you think there is a good amount and bad amount? How do you know what is a good amount and bad amount of asking for money from missionaries? Mm, wow. And there's so many different chapters you go through. I mean, the, mm. when you're raising your support team to begin with is, is different than yeah. when you're on the field. Yeah organization that you're with can have a tremendous shaping of this, the different policies and rules mm. they may have in terms of your level of funding before they allow you to go in the first place. And there's a lot of different things. If a family, okay, imagine a family yeah. of five or four, whatever it is, are serving overseas. They've been serving overseas for five, 10, seven years, whatever it is. Yeah. And they, they want to buy a van, right? Is that, and, and they say, this is our needs, this is how much we, we need to raise in order to buy this van. Do you, is that something you look at maybe and say, or how can we how can we partner with you? Or is that something you look at and you think like, why are you sending this out in your newsletter? Do you, do you, do you get the, what yeah, I'm asking I know, for? I know exactly what you're saying. The trouble is I don't have a, a one size fits all answer. Yeah. Is it more relational, your relationship with that missionary? It sometimes is relational. It sometimes is your understanding of what the, of what the need is and what drives it. I mean, the, where does the Holy Spirit fit into these things, and how do you unpack that mystery? Hmm. There are definitely times that I would look at a request like that and not be interested at all. Yeah, and there are definitely times that you're you're moved and you're compelled to say, "This is something we need to do something about." Yeah, and I can think of an example. There's a ministry that my church is connected to, and West Africa, very impoverished country. There's a small Christian college that's been founded there. They're doing good work. Struggle, struggle, struggle. Very difficult to make progress. But we met the man who's serving as the as the president of this college through the relationships we have in our you know, in our church with this ministry and very taken by him as an individual. Hmm. So I would I would say that 
is a very fundamental piece. Hmm. At a heart level, am I inspired, hmm. blessed, encouraged? Do I trust that this person loves Jesus and is about that? And this is one of those guys. And his wife had a, a debilitating stroke. Wow. And there they are, where they live, access to medical care. All these different things were factors. And um, she was in bad shape. Hmm. She lived, but uh, uh, hampered in her capabilities. Our church had the opportunity to provide some funds and help them buy a used minivan. And, and in that country, it was no small thing. But it was it was probably one of the single largest specific gifts mm. that our church has done. We sent it. We sent a, a, a small group of people over there, hmm. helped them buy in country this van and helped them get it outfitted such that it was possible to get her wheelchair wow. into the van. Wow. And the impact of that on them as servants of the Lord was profound. And, and on our congregation, too, because we were able to kind of unpack that story and tell that story to say, this is their story. This is their situation. This is what we were able to do by God's grace for the resources he's given to us. And this is the effect. I mean, in a sense, it, it gave them the ability to move forward. And he continues to this day mm. as the president of that of that college. And in fact, I'm just reminded by this as we're talking, that college had not been able to be self-sustaining. The, the poverty of that country was such that the you know, students who wanted to attend couldn't even afford it. it. Yeah. And so the funds were being raised outside of country and being sent in to help augment it. And the most recent report I heard was that that school had had grown in the in the student population, and to the extent that it w- it was self sustaining in the in this most recent semester, wow. they they did not require outside funds. Wow! First time ever, and say, like, wow. praise God. Yeah, you know. Yeah. Anyway, um, and 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 I look at that and I go, okay, rightly or wrongly, you know, I, I have to look in at myself. It's like, do I get more excited about stories connected to people that I admire? I probably do. Hmm. I probably do, honestly. Hmm. Um, what about if... I, I think there's there's like two sides to the coin where on one side I've heard churches say, if you don't tell us your needs, we'll never know. Yeah, yeah. You know? And on the other side, I've also heard people say they're always asking for money. That's right. On the ne- In the negative side. Where do you think that balance is? Okay, two answers. I keep I keep giving you more answers. I like it, yeah. Keep um, going. One answer. It, it, it almost kind of connects back to what I was saying about how, at a heart level, how have I responded, connected, assessed this other person on the other side of the relationship? At what, at what level is there that inspiration and, and just love and trust? And, hmm. and so if that's, if that's not sufficient, I think that can color hmm. how you receive the requests. Then how much do I trust the decision making that is being done with these resources. You know, I've, I've heard, you know, uh, churches or, or missions pastors from other churches saying, look, you know, uh, I'm not a vending machine, mm. you know, yeah, <laughs> that kind of a, yeah. an opinion. There's only, only so many dollars in the budget on a given year, you know, <laughs> yeah. you know I, I get it. Um, but I, I think for me, a lot of it boils down to, does it feel like giving a gift will make a difference? Hmm. Or will it just be a matter of time before we're here again? And so that's part of it f- 
for me. And that, that may not even be a fair way to look at it, but I'm humanly speaking, that's kind of the way we react. And it's a lot like a you know, parent to a child yeah. even, you know, yeah. sometimes I don't mean to say that that is a parent child relationship in any way, but I'm just, I use that metaphor of family and parents and children so much when talking about discipleship in the Christian life, yeah. honestly. Yeah. <laughs> and I think there you can feel when, or one feels like they're being taken advantage of, you know, you can feel that. I feel like we're being taken advantage of here. Or you feel like, oh, wow, there's a real need and we can right. be part of supplying that. Right. I think you can, there's something you can feel. I know I can, when somebody comes to me in the Middle East, you know, somebody comes to me and they, and they, they, they need help. Yeah. Sometimes it's like, yes, of course. Yes, of course I'll help you. Yeah. And sometimes it's like, I don't know, I feel like you're taking advantage of me. Yeah. And the more we talk about this, the more the more it's becoming clearer in my my mind. I think a lot of it is just trust. Hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. There's a, an organization that our church has been supporting for years that I had questions about. The communication from them was was consistent, regular, lots of communication, and ninety percent of it was asking for their uh-huh. next. Yeah. project yeah. They, and they had lots of projects lots of big dollar projects they were always asking for lots and lots of money that was one where i was about checked out hmm. and i was like please tell me something about the ministry you're doing besides just asking for money yeah. yeah 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 and uh and to their credit that that did pivot and hmm. i was i was grateful for yeah. that amen yeah but i'm just an- trying to answer your question hmm. to say you know when was i in that spot and then why I think for me, some of it is is really just connected strongly to that trust factor. It's something I need to work on, yeah. honestly. My wife has has put me to shame sometimes at the the way she will give when my heart wasn't there. Yeah. There was one one incident. This is not global, cross cultural. This is an inner city, urban situation. But we had taken our girls out for a special event. We had stopped at a special restaurant, and we were carrying bags of leftover food with us. And it was good food. Yeah, I was looking forward to bringing it home, honestly. <laughs> and we walked by a homeless fellow, mm. and he made a comment because he could read the name of the restaurant on the bag. And he made a comment about that. And my wife stopped and suggested that we give him the food. And my response in my heart was, "No, I want this." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but so I, I tell that story because I learned a I learned a good lesson. Mm. And uh, I was grateful that that was my wife's heart. Yeah, amen to that. Yeah, I want to ask a question about the different kinds of giving that a church is going to be involved Mm. when it comes to maybe what falls into the budget of missions. Uh, So you're probably going to have local missions. You're probably going to have some sort of subsidy for short-term missions for your church, for church members going to someplace probably not too far away that you've been going to for uh, several years or ministry you're connected with for short-term teams to go to. Uh, and then you have your, your you know, maybe your budget for people who are more doing church planting cross-culturally. Do you have any just thoughts on when, when a church is thinking about budget, like how you're thinking about these different aspects of missions? I, I asked the question because I think there could be a tendency for a church to say, the biggest bang for our buck mm. is to do what we see the most immediate uh, return for, and that's uh, that's sending our people out on a 10-day trip 
uh, and then coming back, you know, boom, we see the immediate results of that. Or that's doing something where our people can go down to the soup kitchen and like hands and feet and see what's going on and come back, you know. Do you have any thoughts on like how we, when you, when you look at the budget, the mission's budget, like how you are thinking through those kind of questions? Yeah, well, first of all, there's one distinction that I would have to make with regard to our local church, and that is we, we have segmented responsibility for local outreach separately from global mission. Yeah, okay. And so I don't have uh, much in, involvement in the, in the local outreach piece in terms yeah. of planning or execution or budget at all. Yeah, um, that's probably a good distinction to have. I like it because uh, that's that's where my heart is. Yeah, is the global mission side. But I have to recognize that that many churches need to organize themselves differently, and and would would understandably connect all of that as as a, in, under the outreach umbrella. Let's say um, without getting into the argument about what qualifies to use the label mission. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that aside, so in terms of budget and those different aspects and bang for buck. The bang for buck question, again, as uh, I'm, I'm spoiled a bit because of my time inside the mission agency. So I have to admit, I've been warped or retrained, ruined or fixed. I'm not sure which. <laughs> um, I, I, I think I've got a, is it clearer or different? I have a perspective mm. of the church in my country that uh, having served um, a couple of decades on the inside of a mission agency and hearing from really wise, mature thoughtful voices I, the the privilege i had to learn from the people that i worked with unbelievable hmm. uh, immeasurable value and it has helped shape and form me hmm. in ways there's no way i would have predicted walking in the door it wasn't that i had i didn't walk in as a baby christian but i learned so much what do you think but, some of those differences or changes are so I, where i was going with that yeah. was was saying the, the the bang for buck question yeah i think where i sit in my role it would be my job to challenge that assertion and to say that's not that's not the right question. Hmm. It's an understandable question, and we don't want to be foolish uh, in our stewardship of the Lord's resources. But is it possible for us to measure and see even what Jesus is seeing? No. <laughs> yeah, yeah. As simple as, as the parable of the widow's mite, yeah. right? Is it, It's a simple example yeah. of saying, no, we don't measure in our natural selves, we don't measure the way God does. Hmm. And so that becomes, I think, a point of discussion. And, and in parts of the world, certain parts of the world, you can't measure conversions and baptisms and you know those hmm. types of things as the measuring stick of effectiveness. Hmm. In that regard, what do we invest in? What partnerships do we have? I, I think uh, needs to be handled differently as you, as you seek your, your strategy and your place in the world. And certainly God's going to call different churches to, to engage in different things. That's, That's right. The, the beauty of the body, right? That's right. Amen to that. Um, so, so not everybody's going to be involved in, in your pet project. Yeah. Um, if that's the one God's given you, then with all your heart, you know? Mm. <laughs> but other bang for the buck, other nuances to the question you're asking is like, so involvement of, of people, the being ruined part of yeah. me. So short-term missions. Here I am, a missions pastor role, and short-term missions is a key thing mm. that, you know, that the church does, and we do. And I, I sometimes am careful to point out that the purpose of the short-term missions is probably not what most people think it is, mm. and that we're foolish to think that by sending a team 
to such and such a place to spend 4.3 days there is going to accomplish the things, the eternal Hmm. things that we expected. Hmm. Now, God can do anything. I I have a, I'm not sure what label to put on it with regard to short-term missions, but but I have a more cautious view Hmm. of its value. I think... There can be value in on the, on the field, but our focus is to work with partners that we have a longstanding relationship with and seek to undergird what they're doing and come alongside. And so that's that's what we are trying to do. Um, but th- the other hoped-for benefit is the raising of the mission's awareness and engagement, and the and potentially seeing you know people responding to God's call, hmm. you know, and, and ultimately choosing to say, oh, no, this is this is something I want to do with my life. And, you know, our church has, it's not like there's been a, a tsunami of people uh, being raised up to go out as missionaries. But, <laughs> but we've right. got, but we have some, we have <laughs> yeah. some, and that's Amen. a joy. Yeah, that's Amen. a joy. In fact, um, last week we had two that we were able to wow. pray over at an elders yeah. meeting. Yeah. Wow, amen. Yeah. Well, I think we should end there. Okay. Uh, even though I have more questions. Thanks for being with me today. Amen to that. Wow, I told you it would be worth listening to until the end. Well, thanks for making it to the end of the podcast. I know 45 minutes is a long time to listen to anything. So thanks for making it to the end. You can always find out more about the Practimissions podcast at our website, pmpod.org. And uh, as we end, I just want to remind you that it's okay to be normal. <laughs>